0: Bibles open with me to the fifth chapter of James. So we mentioned today as the last day will be in the book of James. This is James chapter five, starting in verse thirteen, and reading to the end of the chapter through verse twenty. If you're able, I invite you to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word. James chapter five, verses thirteen through twenty. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like yours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Pray with me, please. Father, we are grateful to be here today to hear from your word. God, remove every distraction from this place, in our hearts and minds, things of the day, issues of the week, that we might focus on the worshiping you through the preaching of your word. For believers here today, Father, continue to equip us to live the Christian life. Teach us, Father, how we should be conformed into your image, Lord Jesus. And Lord, if there is one here today who's not saved, who doesn't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, do that work in his or her heart that he or she might come to know you by grace through faith. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. We started the book of James back in August, and it's March 1st, but I want you to think with me through all those months that we've gone through the book of James, the different things that James has taught us. And when we started this book back in August, we asked this question. And we said, if you're asking the question, how should I live the Christian life? James answers that question. In fact, the theme that we gave to this entire book is practical truth for the Christian Life. If you have your Bibles open, just turn the pages back with me to chapter 1. By the way, it's a joy to any pastor's ears to hear their flock turn the pages of Scripture. James chapter 1, what did that teach us about the Christian life? James taught us that we should expect trials and suffering to come in this life, and he taught us how to approach those trials and those sufferings with great joy. He taught us how not to be a double-minded man who sometimes thinks about God and sometimes doesn't. He taught us in this chapter not only to be hearers of the Word of God but to be doers of the Word of God. At the end of the chapter, he taught us how to minister to orphans and widows. Look at chapter 2. In chapter 2, James Taught us so much about the sin of partiality that we should not play favorites. He taught us that faith without works is dead. In chapter three, he spent a lot of time talking about our words. I think we've had at least five sermons through this series on our words. The tongue is talked about in this third chapter. We remember in this chapter the wisdom that's from above and then what he calls earthly wisdom. We compared those two philosophies, those two types of of wisdom. In chapter 4, James warned us against worldliness. He warned us against boasting about tomorrow, saying that we should never make plans without submitting those plans to God and God's will. We should pray, thy will be done. Here in the latter part of James, he gave the rich a warning. He talked about that domino effect, that greed leads to theft. Theft leads to selfish indulgence. Selfish indulgence leads to murder. He talked about those poor day laborers who were suffering because they weren't paid from their bosses. And God told them that he heard their prayers. And that one day, whether on earth or in heaven, all wrongs be made right. There will be a judgment by God. We learned how to live with patience, with perseverance, with steadfastness. And, friends, today, as we end this epistle, James has one more lesson for us. Today, we're going to zoom in and find that the Christian life should be filled with at least three more things. And those three things are the outline of our text today. The first of those things is prayer. The second is praise. And then thirdly, the Bible talks about a mutual responsibility that we have to each other as believers. If you have your bulletin, use the back of your bulletin as a guide as we go through this final portion of James. He talks about prayer He talks about praise, and he talks about the mutual responsibility. But let's look at that first point. Specifically, what does the Bible say to us about prayer? And what we're going to do now is we're going to walk through some other scriptures that teach us about the doctrine of prayer. We're going to use this as a backdrop to what James tells us about prayer this morning. This text is the text that Hunter read just a moment ago from Hebrews chapter four. Let's read it one more time. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed to the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near. Underline that phrase, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Friends, the book of Hebrews calls Jesus our high priest. To fully understand that image, we've got to go back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God called Moses and Aaron to build the tabernacle. He established Aaron as the first high priest. And in that tabernacle there were special rooms. One was called the holy place and the other the most holy place. And we know the story. There was a curtain in between the two. And in that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that only the high priest could go in there. And that once a year. Not any time he wanted to come, Once a year on the Day of Atonement. And when he went into the Holy of Holies behind that curtain, that that curtain of separation, he brought the blood sacrifice of an innocent animal. Well, friends, the Bible says that Jesus is our high priest. And he is a high priest far better than Aaron could have ever wanted to be. Because when Jesus died on the cross, think about this with me. When Jesus died on the cross and the blood of the Lamb of God was shed on the cross, what happened to the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place? In the temple by this point, what happened? It was ripped in two. Think about that. Ripped in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. say, Pastor Adam, what in the world does that have to do with prayer? Well, friends, in the Old Testament, only Aaron was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. But now, because of what Jesus has done for you and for me, the curtain has been torn in two. And Jesus, as it is, takes us by the hand and ushers us into the presence of his Father and says what? draw near you my friend can draw near to a holy god not because of anything that you and i have done but because of what christ has done for us on the cross what i'm telling you friends is that what jesus did for us on the cross gives us full access to god the father through the blood of christ that you and i can draw near to the throne of grace to find the mercy and grace that God offers to us, and you can do that in prayer. The second verse to look at today, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your anxieties on him, the Bible says, because he cares for you. Peter, what did he do for a living? He was a fisherman and he would take his net and cast his net all the time into the sea to catch fish it's peter who picks up this word casting and applies it not to the fish of the sea but applies it to our anxieties to applies it to our doubts our fears our worries and peter teaches us as believers to cast our cares where on him Because he cares for you. Remember, Fisherman Peter is the one who teaches us to cast our cares on the Lord. The next text is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. The Bible says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Three main words in these verses that I want you to see. The first one at the beginning of this text is anxious or anxiety. The last word I want you to see is peace. So what's the word in the middle? Prayer. To go from anxiousness to peace the Bible says for the believer, it's got to be a life of continual prayer, thanksgiving, supplication, laying those requests at the feet of Jesus. And the next slide teaches us one more verse. First Thessalonians 5:17, pray without ceasing. That means have a constant mindset of communication with God. Prayer doesn't have to just be that one time a day, maybe where you have devotions. Talk to the Lord throughout your day. He can hear you. He's aware of where you are and what's going on. Psalm 139 says it doesn't matter where you go. You can't escape the presence of God. It says before a word is on your tongue, He knows it completely that He perceives your thoughts from afar. Wherever you are, you can pray. And have a conversation with your Heavenly Father. So friends, taking those four texts, using them as a backdrop, what does James say about prayer? Verse 13. If anyone among you, or is anyone among you suffering, let him what? Pray. Let him pray. Again, James reminds us, That in this world, on this side of glory, there's going to be suffering. Physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. Think about the suffering he just described in the book of James. Those day laborers who worked and worked and worked and weren't paid because their bosses were stealing their money. Using it for themselves. Jesus even reminds us, in this world you will have trouble. He says... In the book of John. So friends. In times of suffering. What does the Bible teach us to do? Simply put it teaches us to pray. It teaches us to pray without ceasing. It teaches us that instead of being Anxious about our suffering, we should pray so that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. It teaches us to cast all our anxieties on God because He cares for us. Why? Because Jesus Christ has taken you by the hand and He's ushered you by His blood into the presence of His Father, a Father who says, Draw near to me and find the grace and mercy in a time of need. Well, let me tell you a story. In seminary, I had Dr. Doug Kelly for Systematics. I know I quote Dr. Kelly all the time from the pulpit, so I know you probably feel like you know him. But he wrote a great book on prayer, by the way. If you ever want a good read on prayer, he wrote the book, If God Already Knows, Why Pray? It's a great book. I've gone through that book with my staff here at Redeemer. But in that book, he tells a story. He says, His family was over in Scotland. Dr. Kelly got his education in Scotland. It was a Tuesday, and his family needed to catch a train the next day on Wednesday morning. So on Tuesday night, his family, I think uh, wherever they were staying, they were they were near a television set. And the television came on, and they heard on the news about railroad strikes in Scotland. And the news said that on every Wednesday there was going to be a railroad strike in Scotland. Trains were not going to run. And they heard that on the news Tuesday night. Well, Wednesday morning they woke up. And what did they do? They got ready. They went down to the train station to catch their train. And when they got there, nobody was there. Nobody was working, nobody was waiting, there weren't any trains running, and they thought, what's going on? And then it dawned on them, wait a second, last night we all heard the news. We heard what the man said on the TV. There were going to be train strikes every Wednesday throughout Scotland and no trains were running. Friends, they had the information about the trains, but that information made no impact On their lives. So the question comes for every one of us not only the information, but the truth. The truth about prayer that we now know is that going to make any impact on our lives? The theme of James is practical truth for Christian living. James is asking us to take the truth that we've been given about prayer and to apply it in our lives. Never should we have just the information and have that separated from our lives because that would be one, back to chapter 1, that would be a person who hears the word but is not a what? a doer of the word. And James says, if you're a hearer, but not a doer, you are deceiving yourselves. Friends, let us be ones who apply the word of God in our lives. Why? This text goes on to say, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's what this text says. In fact, in verse 14, it talks about those who are sick. The Bible says to us in verse 14, if you're sick, let the one who is sick ask the elders, call on the elders of the church, those men who exercise spiritual oversight in the church to get involved. And this text says that the elders should come and pray over this person, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And pray a prayer of faith. For healing. You know since I've been here at Redeemer it's been an honor and a pleasure as one of your elders to be involved with this several times here in the church. I remember gathering with many of you back at Sun Valley, some of you here in the sanctuary, some of you at your own homes living out this, this blessing that, that God says here in His Word. Now let me speak to this for just a minute because Many people over the years have said that if you do this, that's automatic healing. Just name it and claim it, and you'll ultimately be healed. Friends, I don't believe that, and I don't believe that for several reasons. Let me give you at least two. In the Bible, Paul talks about his own example that he pleaded with the Lord three times about a thorn in his own flesh. And Paul learned that God doesn't always heal as people wish in fact God's response was my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in weakness another reason is secondly back in chapter 4 you remember when we learned about prayer in chapter 4 God never says to make plans without acknowledging his will his will so the prayer of faith always says God not my will but your will be done that's what prayer teaches that's how james teaches prayer in this book of james so friends what texts like this teach us specifically about prayer and it's something we all need to get a hold of jesus never came into this world to take the trouble out of life I want to make sure I say that boldly and clearly. Jesus never came into this world to take the trouble out of life. He says, I came into this world that when you have trouble, you can take heart because I've overcome this world. That's what Jesus says. And that when you suffer, when you have pain, when you go through difficult trials, God is there to walk with you through those trials. God is there not to give you anxiety, but to, Peace, Now that you have casted all your cares upon him, asking his will to be done, there is no better place for you and I to be than casting our cares upon God and submitting to his will and his plan. He is a good father. He will always do what is best for his children. You heard the text last week. If you ask him for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He loves his children. friends. Are we going to apply what we know? We know all this truth about prayer. But how often do we show up at the train station on Wednesday expecting the train? And we know that the train's not going to be there. We need to apply what we know about prayer. But secondly, today, the Bible talks about praise. Look again at verse 13. It starts with prayer. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. But then it says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Friends, we just spent a while talking about the valleys of life, the trials, the sufferings of life. Now James shifts. He talks about some of the mountaintop experiences. Dr. Kistemacher said it best. He said when someone is in trouble he readily prays but when someone is happy we do not hear him sing songs of praise. Friends, sometimes when we're on the mountaintop things are going well, you're happy we totally forget to praise God. We totally forget to acknowledge His goodness and grace in those moments. But friends, the Psalms they teach us to praise the Lord. Let's look at some of these psalms. This is Psalm 33, verse 1. The Bible says, Shout for joy to the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. To praise the Lord. Psalm 81 says, Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. The New Testament teaches us to praise. This is Ephesians Five, the Bible says, make melody to the Lord with your heart. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16 talks about singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You remember back in James chapter 1, he taught us that God is the giver of Of every good gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from where? Comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him. So friends, right now in your own hearts, I want to ask you to do this right now. Make a list. Make a list. What do you have that you can be thankful for? What do you have that you can praise the Lord for in your life? We should praise Him for the clothes on our backs, the food on our table, the roof over our heads. We should praise Him that we have people around us who love us and encourage us, that we live in a nation where we can freely come into a building like this without any type of persecution to praise His holy name. Praise Him that you have jobs that support your livelihood on and on and on. The Bible teaches us to praise the Lord For what he has done for us, friends. And that leads us to our third and final point. Our mutual responsibility one to the other. This last portion of the book of James, verses 19 and 20, talk about the fact of someone wandering from the truth. Verse 16 talks about confessing your sins to one another, and to praying for one another. Friends, we need to remember something about this side of glory. This side of glory, we're going to live in a world with each other where from time to time there's going to be conflict. I'm going to sin against you. You might sin against me. We're going to let each other down. And Jesus knows that. And he gave us a plan on how to deal with that in the Bible, specifically in the book of Matthew. If someone has sinned against you, go to him in the Lord and make it right. If you remember that you have sinned against your brother, go to him in the Lord and make it right. Friends, I want to offer you five words that we should say all the time to each other in the Christian life. Five words. Husbands and wives, and I encourage you to say to each other. Co-workers, say to each other. Friends, say to each other. Mothers and fathers with your, with your children, say to each other. This is not anything profound. These are things I guarantee you've taught your children from their infancy. The first two words are simply this. I'm sorry. And the last three words or I forgive you. Friends, let us never, ever lose a humility, not only towards God, but towards each other. There's not one person in this room who's perfect, who's got it all together. And from time to time, we've got to acknowledge that with each other and say, hey, I'm sorry. And the person may be on the other side. You've been so hurt. You've been so burdened by this other person. May you be enabled by by God's grace to say, hey, I forgive you and be restored to each other. Just as God has forgiven us in Christ, so should we forgive others. You ask the question, why should I forgive? This is because God forgave you. By the way, why should you love God? Because God first loved you. And how can we, as believers who have been forgiven so much by our Heavenly Father, not forgive our brother? There's a mutual responsibility to do this. Now, what do we want to do in situations like this? We want to gossip and argue and fight, hold on to a root of bitterness. Friends, let that go. Let that go. Have a mutual responsibility. Say, I'm sorry. I forgive you. This text talks about bringing a wayward sinner back. Verses 19 and 20. Yesterday, or this, this weekend, we had our link class. We had, uh, I think, eight different families come to link, and Daryl got to teach part of that. I got to teach part of that yesterday. And we go through the membership vows in the link class, and we got to that fifth question. Uh, the fifth membership vow um, which talks about submitting to the government and the discipline of the church and promising to study its purity and peace now for a lot of people that line about discipline man you trip over that you don't like that line who wants discipline (laughs) but as you think about church discipline think about this text think about someone who's wandering from the truth Believers, we have a mutual responsibility to each other in the church to help bring that person back. I have the book of church order here. How often do you get to hear from the book of church order in a sermon? The book of church order, this is the PCA's book of church order, and there's a whole section in this book about church discipline. And I want you to hear this and think about this as it relates to the text that we just studied. What's the purpose of discipline? The exercise of discipline is highly important and necessary. In its proper use, discipline maintains the glory of God, the purity of His church, and the keeping and reclaiming of disobedient sinners. Think about that last line. The keeping, the reclaiming of disobedient sinners. It's not to make a mockery out of someone or to embarrass someone. It's to say, hey, you're, you've wandered from the Lord. When Jesus had a sheep, wonder, what did he do? He went out and found it because he's the good shepherd, put it around his neck, brought him back. Friends, that is the purpose of church discipline. We need to be prepared to care for each other's spiritual needs. you remember in the Garden of Eden? When God asked Cain, where is your brother? What did Cain respond? Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer? Yes. Yes, you are. There's a mutual responsibility going on here in the church. We want to be in the business of bringing them back, reclaiming them for the Lord, for the glory of God. Friends, let us never let our pride or selfishness get in the way of that. Be in the business of saying, I'm sorry, I forgive you. Even loving the one who wants to pull you back to the fellowship of believers. So as you leave here today, what can we take away from this text? I pray that we all will be people of prayer. Let's all remember Dr. Kelly's story. If we know that the train is not going to be there on Tuesday night, why would we show up on Wednesday? If we know all these things about prayer, why are we not applying that truth in our lives? Let us pray without ceasing. Let us cast our cares on the Lord because Christ has ushered us into the presence of His Father, ripped the curtain in half. It's not only Aaron who can come. The curtain's ripped in half. Come. Come to the Father. Lay your request down at Him. And when you're in the peaks of life, never forget to rejoice in the Lord for the blessings He's given you. Praise Him. Make that list. Praise Him. Keep the unity of the church. Be willing to say to your brother, I'm sorry. Be willing to say back, Hey, I forgive you. I love you just as God has loved me. Striving to be gentle, caring, even reaching out to our wayward brothers and sisters. Discipline for the glory of God, for the peace and purity of the church, yes, but it's to bring back a wayward sinner into the fold of God. Pray with me, please.